you've heard a few times now in worship throughout our little stewardship season we've been in for the last couple of weeks that back in the spring for stewardship this year we thought we'd do an experiment what we did was we took our youth group and we entrusted each of them with twenty dollars much like i just asked the children what they would do with twenty dollars and i said okay this is twenty dollars of the church's money this is god's money being given to you we want to see what you would do if you took that twenty dollars and you went forth how would you spend it on god's behalf what would you do with it and are there ways that you could take that twenty dollars and make it go further than twenty dollars by trusting in god and you heard a couple of examples of things that our youth came up with um the, the daughtry boys sold uh, aloe plants and gave the money to the duma food pantry aloe plants right can be split and grow um, Olivia Godwin uh, baked cookies and sold the cookies for more money and then gave the money to the Ronald McDonald house. This is God's creativity at work in the life of the church with the gifts that have been entrusted to us. This whole idea for this experiment came from a parable that we're going to hear read now and I'm going to preach on today. It's called the parable of the talents. It's actually one of the hardest parables, I think, in scripture. One of the harder ones, at least, especially of the ones that talk about money. So let's listen to God's word to us now. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Let's listen for God's word to us this morning. Jesus says this, For it is if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one servant he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. To each according to his ability, and then he went away. At once, the one who had received five talents went off and traded them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. And then the one who had received the one talent, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the, his accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you, you gave me five talents, and see, I have made five more talents. And the master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy in few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you handed over two talents to me. See, I have turned it into two more talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been trustworthy with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. But then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, master, I knew that you were a harsh man, that you reap where you do not sow, you gather where you do not scatter. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. So here. Have back what is yours. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested the money with bankers. At least then I would have received what was my own with a little bit of interest. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one with ten talents. For all those who have, more will be given. They will have an abundance, but those who have nothing, even that could be taken away. And as for this worthless servant, throw him in the outer darkness where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Pray for the one who preaches. This is hard. His sins are many. Let's pray. Holy God, we turn to you this morning looking for guidance on how to take the, make the most of what you have entrusted to us. May something, O oh God, of what I say and do, or at least something of what is seen and heard here this morning, be not of me, may it not be of us, may it be of you and your promises, of the things that you have given to us and the things that you would have us give back to you. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. you ever seen or done a high ropes course nope that's not for me years ago back um, in the days when I was a campus minister at the University of Mississippi uh, I would spend my summers a couple of weeks every summer at our local church camp and I would act as the camp pastor a lot of the students from my campus ministry were counselors at this camp Uh, the camp pastor had three basic duties number one uh, you, you would lead the chapel services and the devotions in the evening for the whole camp. Number two, you had to be available throughout the day to any campers who might have questions or spiritual guidance or some kind of crisis. They needed a pastor. Then number three, at the beginning of the summer, you had to participate in staff and counselor training. And you had to help teach them what it means to be a Christian leader. So, uh, On my first day of staff training at this camp, things were going really well. All morning, I'd been leading a Bible study on what it means to be a Christian leader. We had walked all through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, and his whole metaphor of the body of Christ. And and I could tell I was really connecting with a lot of the staff, not just the ones that were some of my students at Ole Miss. So we wrapped up. We broke for lunch. We went and sat down in the dining hall, and we were all laughing, telling stories, telling jokes as we're eating lunch, when one of the head counselors, who was one of my students at Ole Miss, we'll call him Jay, he was about 21 years old, and uh, he was a finance major at Ole Miss. And he looked over at me, he said, so, uh, are you ready to go do the high ropes course? And I said, <laughs> nah, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. No way. Now, if, you, if, you, if you've ever seen or done a high ropes course let me don't know what it is let, let me let me give you an idea what we're talking about okay so imagine an obstacle course like with wires and with swings uh and monkey bars and and and, and the kinds of things that you would you would try to scoot across uh, a playground while playing the ground is lava as a kid imagine that only in this case the ground isn't lava the ground is 30 feet of empty air because the obstacle course is suspended up on poles and up on the trees some 30 feet above the ground. Uh, Now, I had driven past this high ropes course at this camp many times. You couldn't miss it. It was right there by the entrance. And every time, I'd look up at this high ropes course, and I'd immediately have to look back down because I started to feel queasy. said, the high ropes course? Nope. That's a big old nope for me, I told Jay. He said, "Uh, but Howard, you're the camp pastor you have to it's a tradition every summer at the end of leadership training the camp pastor does the high ropes course all the way through and we all stand at the bottom and cheer him or her on it's part of the job man and i think everybody could immediately feel my anxiety rising in the room 
Jay, to his credit, could see I was not quite into this, so he started trying to, you know, comfort me, encourage me, also rib me a little bit. He says, why are you so hesitant, man? What's the problem? It's completely safe, he said. I said, I don't know, man. You couldn't possibly say it's completely safe. I mean, you're 30. You're 40 feet above the ground. That does not sound completely safe to me. He said, yeah. But when you're up there, you've got a helmet on, and you've got a harness that has been checked a dozen times, and that harness is connected to ropes that are tested for thousands of pounds. And those ropes have been checked dozen times. And those ropes are attached to the course. And the course has been expected, inspected and certified dozens of times over and over again. How would we regularly put eight-year-old kids on this thing? You think we would be allowed to put eight-year-old kids on this thing if it wasn't safe? He said, I said, right, yeah, but, but like, Jay, you can't say that it's completely safe. Nothing is completely safe. Something could always go wrong. I thought I'd made a really good point. But then Jay made a point that seemed like it couldn't possibly be true and yet was obviously true at the same time. Here's what he said. He said, you know, you are way safer on this rope course than you are driving down I-95 at 70 miles an hour in a car. And you do that every day. He said, it's all about how you evaluate risk. Spoken like a good finance major at Ole Miss. It's all about how you evaluate risk. It is uh, stewardship time, so it's that time of year when we talk about money. We talk about giving to the church. Stewardship sermons are never easy to preach. Because anytime people start talking about money in connection to the church or connection to religion, you can often feel the anxiety rising in the room. Well, for some reason, this year, I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to make stewardship even harder, and I was going to focus on this story from Scripture, one of the stories from Scripture that talks about money that's probably the hardest to figure out, which is Jesus' parable of the talents. Let's see if we can break it down and we can understand why this story can be so hard. Okay, so, Jesus says... That faithful living is like this. He says there's a master. And we might immediately imagine that this master is a metaphor for God. This master calls on his three servants. We might imagine that these servants are a metaphor for us. The master's going on a trip. And while he's away, he's going to entrust his money to his servants. So to one servant, he gives five talents. So think about that as five thousand dollars to a second servant he gives two thousand dollars to a third servant he gives one thousand dollars now already if you're paying attention i think we got our first difficulty in the story um why does god give more money to some and less money to others how is that fair 
Um, this is the God, after all, who's always standing up for the people who have less money. So what is going on with that? We'll come back to that later. Back to the story. So this master, I mean God, I mean this master, goes off on his trip. And then he comes back and he calls in all of his servants back to report how they have taken care of the money. So the first, the $5,000 servant rolls in. He says, look, master, I took your money and I invested it. I bought some stocks right at the right time. While you were gone, the investments blew up. Now your $5,000 has turned into $10,000. I doubled your money. And at this point, the master is delighted. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into my joy. Then the master, again, that's God, calls in the $2,000 servant. And just like the $5,000 servant, the $2,000 servant has also been investing. He said, you know, I did some trading while you were away and I, I caught the rising interest rates at the right time in the right way. I've doubled your money. Your two grand is now four grand. And once again, the master is delighted. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into my joy. Okay, so far we're doing okay. Then we get to the third servant, the $1,000 servant. And already this guy has received less than his companions. But things are about to get worse for him. The master, once again, calls him in. And he has a very different story from the first two servants. Here's what the third servant says. He says, look, God, I mean, master, I know I'm not very good at investing. I'm not good at managing money like the other two servants. I mean, think about it. If I knew what I was doing, you would have given me more just like you gave to the other two servants, right? So because I obviously don't know what I'm doing and because you didn't give me very much to begin with, like I was afraid. I was afraid that if I went out and I tried to make something out of this money, I'd blow it. I would lose it all. I'd have nothing to give back to you. And then I couldn't bear the thought of coming before you and how angry and disappointed you would be in me. So I did what I thought was right. I, I tried to play it safe. I did the only safe thing I knew to do, which is I went and I took that $1,000 and I buried it under my mattress. So, so here it is. Here it is. The $1,000 in full. I'm giving it all right back to you and to this God I mean the master does not say well done good and faithful service instead God is furious furious God says why, why don't you why, did, why don't you just at least take it and, and, and put it in some kind of CD where I could have gotten some interest back Okay, so now here's where we run into the deepest difficulty of this story. On the one hand, throughout the New Testament, Jesus shows strikingly interest, little interest in money. He doesn't care about money. Almost never. One time, somebody gave Jesus a coin, and Jesus looked at it and saw Caesar's face, and he said, you know, if the emperor wants this, let him have it, because I don't want it. There's this other time that this, this rich young man came to Jesus and says, hey, what, what should I do to follow you and inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything you got. Give it all away. Give all of it away to the poor. Then we can talk. There's this other time 
where he says that you can't serve God and money at the same time. He says it's easier to squeeze a camel through the hole of a needle than it is for a wealthy person to know God. Guess what, y'all? We're all, almost all of us in this room, in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world just by virtue of the country we live in. Jesus consistently thinks that there's more important things to life than money. Then on the other hand, when Jesus does talk about money, it's usually about how we need to be looking out for those who don't have any and don't have enough. He praises this widow who puts two pennies in the offering plate. He says, that's faithfulness. He says, whatever you do for the least of these in need, you're actually doing it to me. This is how Jesus usually approaches money, and here in this story, he's turning it on his head. The, the thing in this story that's exalted is when the servant who makes money, that's what gets celebrated. And the person who is the least successful at making money in the story is the one who ends up getting condemned. This doesn't sound like the Jesus from the rest of the New Testament. So it's a difficult story. What's going on in this story? Well, it won't surprise you that I have a suggestion. This story is not about money at all. This story is about something deeper. This is a story about risk and how you evaluate it. Life is risky business. Risk is a constant part of life. You take a risk when you strap on to a harness and you try to make your way across a high ropes course 40 feet in the air. That's a risk. You take a risk every time you strap into a car and buckle your seatbelt and go barreling down I-95 at 70 miles an hour. That's a risk. You take a risk every time you drop your kids off at school knowing you're not going to see them for another seven or eight hours. You take a risk every time you trust someone to keep confidence. You take a risk every time you walk down the stairs. You take a risk every time you invest what money you have in the stock market or even every time you entrust the money to a bank. You and I are going to take risks next week when we hand in a pledge card. That's a risk. Life is risky business. There is nothing in life that doesn't come without risk. There is no guarantee that you won't lose what you risk in life. At any point, your decision-making might prove to be bad. At any point, the hand of bad luck may lay down its cards on your table right in front of you, and you could lose everything that you have risked. So with every decision, you have to ask, do you trust yourself? Do I trust myself? Do I trust my judgment? Do I trust my decision-making? How do I evaluate risk? How do you evaluate risk? This is what the third servant, the thousand-dollar servant, gets right. Now, here's what the thousand-dollar servant misses. And here's the thing you and I often miss as well. When it comes to the good news of God's mercy and grace, it is not about whether we trust ourselves. It's not about your judgment. 
It's about whether you trust God. It's whether God's judgment is trustworthy. That's the difference. See, God is displeased with this third servant at the end of the story, but it's not because he didn't make any money. God is displeased with the third servant because the servant didn't even try. And even worse, there's a worse reason why the servant didn't even try. The reason the servant didn't try is because he's convinced himself that should he lose it all, lose everything God had given to him, that God would be more displeased with him. And this isn't the case at all. Dare I say that if God is the merciful God that we proclaim God to be week after week, then this third servant could have lost every penny and more that had been given to him by God. And God would still have been grateful for his effort. Because there's a difference between effort and earning. And the difference between effort and earning is faith. What God wants isn't your money. What God wants is your trust. That is, God wants for you and I to trust and know God's mercy and then live by it. This is what the servant misses. He goes around operating on the assumption that there is nothing in life that is completely safe. This isn't true at all. There is one thing in life that is actually really completely and utterly safe. And as I say it to you, it is going to sound like what I'm saying couldn't possibly tr be true, and yet at the same time is so obviously true you can't believe you hadn't considered it. And that is the one thing that you can always trust, the one thing that will never break, the one single assurance that is always completely without risk is that God loves and favors you unconditionally. God's mercy for you goes and goes and goes and never comes to an end. And God's mercy for each and every one of us is going to win in the end. And so friends, this means that even though it seems like it, life is never actually risky business. We can risk everything and never lose when it comes to life in Christ. Because there's nothing to earn. You've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to lose. The grace of God is already yours. Good and faithful servants. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask this. Amen.